The subject of negotiating Medicare drug prices has ebbed and flowed for many years and has recently been debated again in Congress. Allowing CMS to negotiate drug prices on behalf of its beneficiaries and private plan enrollees would help reduce out-of-pocket spending. In this episode of Moving Medicine, Todd Askew, AMA Senior Vice President of Advocacy, presents the ins and outs of drug price negotiation in Medicare. This talk was originally given at the AMA's 2022 annual meeting. If you're a physician, resident, or medical student, you can get access to more great events like this one by becoming an AMA member. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk a little bit about um, the drug price negotiation in Medicare and why can't we use the model we see in so many other federal programs, especially the VA, uh, to successfully lower uh, the cost. Mainly we're talking here about brand name drugs uh, under the, in, in the Medicare program. So just, you know, at the start, you're all probably quite familiar uh, with the structure and the, the, the statutory barrier uh, to drug price negotiation in the, in the Medicare program. The non-interference clause of the, of the law in 2003 that created the, the Medicare Part, uh, Part D um, said explicitly that, you know, they, that the federal government cannot interfere in negotiations between the manufacturers and the, and, the, and the plan sponsors, and they can't require also any particular formula or price structure uh, for the reimbursement of drugs. This was a, a compromise position uh, that the pharmaceutical industry was willing to accede to in order to uh, engage, you know, with the Medicare program directly. Uh, they were concerned about having let's face it, their largest market uh, for their products uh, suddenly uh, have uh, strong price controls. Um, so it was kind of a deal with the devil, if you will, in order to uh, pass some sort of drug coverage uh, for individuals. The structure of the, of the program, of course, uh, you know quite well. Uh, Medicare Part D plans, and they're also Medicare Advantage plans, and we'll mainly talk about Medicare Part D plans because that's where most people uh, actually get their drug coverage, uh, compete on themselves. They compete. They offer different mixes of coverage. Um, they offer different premiums and cost-sharing structures. Uh, and essentially, they negotiate themselves as individual plans with uh, manufacturers or through their PBMs uh, with manufacturers and pharmacies to deliver drugs uh, to, their, to their beneficiaries. Um, the disadvantage of that obviously is that you have hundreds, maybe thousands of individual plans doing the negotiation and no single one of them carries anything like the weight that some of the big federal programs do in order to demand, in order to demand better deals. So they kind of start off with a disadvantage from the beginning. Um, there are also some requirements. Some are helpful, some are hurtful in terms of the price that they're able to get. One is um, there are six protected classes, therapeutic classes of drugs. Um, and the plans essentially have to cover almost every drug with each one of those six classes. So you have this large amount of drugs that the plan has very little leverage to negotiate because um, they, have to, they, have to cover the, they have to cover the drugs, and the manufacturers obviously uh, know that. An advantage they have is a lot of other programs uh, for Medicaid, um, there's a particular lowest cost type provision um, that that works against people to getting bigger discounts because the Medicaid, um, uh, the manufacturers have to give that price to Medicaid. Uh, but um, that doesn't apply to Part D. So 
manufacturers are able to give lower prices to to uh, to uh, Medicare Part D plans if they wish, without negatively being impacted uh, on the Medicaid side of their business. So CBO looks at all these factors, and they look and they essentially feel that Medicare Part D plans are generally able to obtain lower costs for prescription drugs than the commercial market, than the regular commercial market. But as you'll see, they don't do nearly as well as some of the other direct uh, federal purchasers for drugs. Uh, this obviously has been a, a, an a issue with the Medicare Part D program since its inception, and Congress revisits almost annually the question of drug price negotiation. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office has said essentially that if you only gave the Secretary the authority to negotiate drugs, they don't think it would really lower prices um, uh, because uh, there's no real other leverage uh, since you have to cover so many of the drugs regardless. Uh, there would have to be other authorities in addition uh, to, um, uh, to, to just having the authority to negotiate in order to be able to drive, uh, drive prices lower. There are other federal purchasers that are able to leverage the size of their, pro, of, of their purchasing power, uh, which is greater than any individual Medicare plan. But as a whole, the Medicare plan, Medicare drug spending really dwarfs uh, pretty much any other direct purchaser. So if you gave a lot of authority to the Medicare program, it could negatively impact the deals that these other direct purchasers are able to get because uh, there would not be any, the, the incentive would be reduced for the plans to negotiate, for instance, uh, give uh, certain prices to Medicaid or other buyers. Uh, Medicaid uh, drugs are actually controlled by a federal statute, a federal rebate statute that, that causes, um, uh, that limits the increase in drug prices and requires um, rebates to be paid uh, by the manufacturers uh, for drugs in the Medicaid program. They also are limited in how fast they can grow. And then states can use their leverage in their Medicaid programs uh, to directly negotiate with manufacturers and obtain uh, different discounts. Now, Medicaid initially, when this law went into effect, and again, other purchasers had kind of best price agreements, some of the prices went up in some other programs um, because they didn't want to go too low in Medicaid because they would have to offer those prices to other purchasers. So they're all kind of inter inter interdependent. Uh, there are a number of federal programs uh, that directly uh, purchase drugs from the manufacturers. There's what's known as the big four, okay? That's the VA, the Department of Defense, the Public Health Service and Indian Health Service, and the Coast Guard. That's kind of the big four. Then there are other federal direct purchasers, uh, the Bureau of Prisons, Immigration, NASA, State Department, none of them very large purchasers. But the VA kind of negotiates uh, for this federal supply schedule, which is kind of the federal price that the direct purchasers will pay for drugs. The VA negotiates on everybody's behalf. Um, manufacturers, uh, if you're going to sell your, you know, you're, you're basically, if you're going to sell your brand name drugs in one program, you have to be on this federal supply schedule. So there's an extreme incentive for the manufacturers to negotiate with the VA on behalf of all these other federal purchasers. Um, and then each of these purchasers uh, have other opportunities to lower to lower costs further in what they purchase. So just looking at the big four, um, there are, which is again, VA, DOD, Public Health Service, and the Coast Guard. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Um, 
There are additional requirements in federal law where there is a federal ceiling price, which is, again, a very complicated formula that I'm not going to pretend to have much insight into how, we, how they were derived. Uh, but essentially, it creates a maximum price uh, that any of these purchasers that is even below what the other direct purchasers are able to practice. So it's kind of the best of two or three different, uh, different categories. Um, and then there are further means where VA and DOD uh, separately are able to, um, are able to purchase um, drugs at a further reduced, at further reduced cost. Um, the VA has two big advantages that the Medicare program and other direct purchasers really don't have. One, they have a national formulary. So all, it, it's, it's one single formulary, you're on it or you're off it, but you're not independently negotiating with regional VAs or independent hospitals, you're negotiating with the VA. Uh, so they have a lot of bargaining power. The VA also obviously employs its uh, clinicians directly, and so they have direct control over um, the prescribing habits of many of their providers, and the fact the VA has a very active academic detailing program to help educate providers on cost-effective prescribing uh, within the system. And so they can, can kind of control not only what drugs are on the formulary, but they can control how those drugs and when those drugs are prescribed. Um, there's also a theory out there that because so many residents train in the VA system that uh, manufacturers have a further incentive to give deeper discounts to the VA because those residents then learn and train using those particular pharmaceutical products. And when they go into private practice or practice somewhere after their training's complete, they're more likely to continue to, to, continue to use those or prescribe those products. Uh, so that's a big incentive. All those programs mixed together gives us this. This is basically, brand, these are brand name drugs we're talking about here. So 1.0 being the federal supply schedule Medicaid, with the, with the mandatory rebates, they get, they get the best price. A VA and DOD, very good. I think where Medicare Part D um, is, a little bit, is a little bit higher um, and above the federal supply schedule. DOD, interestingly enough, has lower brand name, but actually the cost per prescription in the VA is much lower than, than, than the DOD because uh, the VA gets much better deals on generic drugs, and again, as I mentioned, they're able to control the prescribing, uh, the prescribing habits of their or the prescribing patterns uh, to a much greater extent than, excuse me, than most, than most other folks are. Um, the disadvantage, of course, uh, of that Medicare Part D plans have is what you know they would kind of say is their selling points. Uh, they're able to offer packages and copays and, 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 and coverages tailored that you can go out and shop and choose which plan you feel may, might best meet your needs. And they're able to do that because there's thousands of them or hundreds of them. There's over a thousand, I think. Uh, so and if you went to a national formulary, you have one, right? Every drug plan is pretty much going to look the same, and they feel that they wouldn't have the competitive advantage to market uh, uh, different plans to different uh, to different populations. Um, so the idea, you know, the, the underlying fact that the Medicare does not, does not employ the physicians, Medicare does not control their prescribing uh, patterns uh, or have any real influence over it, and the fact that you have 
a thousand different formularies, so you don't have very much leverage to negotiate deeper deals with the manufacturers is really kind of the core reason why uh, we can't just take the VA model and kind of move it right over into the uh, Medicare Part D world without considerably disrupting uh, the, the plans that are available. Now, some people may think that's a good trade-off, that that's worth doing, and that's certainly up to, you know, Congress um, and the pharmaceutical lobby, which is not a big fan of the idea. Um, uh, but this is kind of the trade-off and the deal that was made uh, in order to, in order to uh, get drug coverage as part of Medicare, as part of Medicare at all. That is not to say, though, that there is no hope uh, that Medicare will be able to, um, <clears throat> that we will be able to pass or enact some policy soon uh, that will impact the price of drugs uh, for Medicare beneficiaries uh, in, in the Part D program. You'll recall that uh, the Build Back Better Act, probably back in December, January, uh, which died an ugly death um, when Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema decided uh, they didn't like the energy and climate provisions of the legislation and perhaps the pharmaceutical provisions. Um, that was possible because of reconciliation instructions. And reconciliation instructions is this magic thing you can get in the Senate that allows very specific types of bills to be passed on a partisan 50-vote basis, uh, no, no filibuster. And Democrats, if they could all get on the same page, have 50 votes. So they could pass something if it's an, if it's an imperative. And it is a growing imperative now uh, for them for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, the reconciliation instructions expire. Um, in September. They're gone. You won't be able to use them again. Uh, two, uh, this is one of the top issues still for voters, uh, and the, one of the top health care issues for voters is the price of prescription drugs, particularly in the Medicare program. And I don't think the voters, uh, I think they're growing pretty tired of the excuse that, that, you know, we can't do anything. The pharmaceutical lobby is too powerful. I mean, they have 50 votes. They have reconciliation instructions. They have the tools they need to pass something. I won't get too much into the weeds, but the Affordable Care Act was expanded during, um, uh, during the pandemic uh, so that more folks could have access to care through the Affordable Care Act. And premiums were significantly lowered because of some of the additional subsidization. That expires at the end of this calendar year. Uh, so, so January 1, uh, those, those, those steep discounts are gone and heavy subsidies of people on the ACA plans. And millions of people took up ACA because of the availability of those subsidies. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So the people have ACA coverage, millions and millions and millions of them, in October, a week or two before the election, are going to get a notice in their mail from their health insurance carrier saying, your premiums are going up for 2023. And when I say going up, a family of four making $45,000 a year, currently under the subsidized ACA pays about $342 a year for their coverage. 
Next year, it'll be $2,200, okay, over $2,200. A family of four making $120,000 currently pays for ACA coverage about $10,000 a year for the family and premiums for the entire year. It goes up to over $16,000. And with everything else going up, Democrats in the Senate don't want these notices landing in people's mailboxes a couple weeks before the election. There's another terrible problem with Medicaid, too, that needs to be addressed, too, but I won't get into that. But the reconciliation instructions are probably the only vehicle they have uh, to advance a fix to that program. And the only way they have to pay for a fix uh, for the ACA subsidies is the provisions that they've already negotiated amongst themselves to lower prescription drug prices in Medicare. So that is the hope that this year, and it could happen very quickly, because essentially, I don't have the calendar here, but by the first week of August, Congress is done. They'll come back after the election and fix some stuff, uh, but real policymaking is going to give way to pure partisan politics. Uh, we're kind of already there, but uh, the real opportunity to pass something is we have weeks, uh, not months, and not the rest of the year uh, to address this. So you have sitting out there this package of already negotiated Medicare prescription drug policies that have the support. Senator Manchin even said last week that, oh, he, still, he supports the things. Now we ought to just do that. Now he also said we should just, if we can't get agreement on climate and energy, which he doesn't want an agreement on, he said we should just move on the drug bill. So this is, this is their opportunity to do it. Three components of the bill that I think they've already agreed on that you'll probably see, hopefully, we'll see some action on. One is to lower the cap in, Medi in Medicare uh, for prescription drugs out-of-pocket cost to $2,000. Uh, currently, it is $3,435. It's somewhere up in there. But while that, while, you know, while that is good, in and of itself, just capping it is not really going to lower the price of drugs. The way you lower the price of drugs here is currently in the catastrophic phase, the federal government picks up like 85% of the cost of the drugs. The plans themselves have very little incentive to negotiate lower costs for really expensive drugs because the federal government's going to pay for it anyway. Um, under this proposal, that flips, and the plans themselves become uh, liable for the cost of prescription drugs in that catastrophic phase, or not all of it, but a, gr a vast majority of it. So that's, a cr that's an incredible incentive for plans to start in their PBMs to get tougher and negotiate better deals with the manufacturers uh, and the pharmacies, because right now they have no real in incentive to do that. Also, this provision mentioned in the Medicaid program, the limiting the increases in cost um, uh, on drugs uh, above the rate of inflation, which has proven very um, successful in the Medicaid program. You saw how much lower the prices were in the Medicaid program, uh, because the, over the time, over time, you know, the lack of big increases uh, really kind of starts to compound. So uh, having provisions like that in the Medicare program to rebate back to the federal government spending in excess of inflationary uh, increases in prescription drugs is the second element uh, of, that, of that legislative package. Uh, the third element of that legislative package is prescription drug negotiation, direct negotiation. Now, the longer they negotiate on 
this provision, the narrower and narrower and narrower it gets. And I think this is actually probably a pretty weak. I haven't seen the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, say how much they think this will really save. But you're limited to only a handful of drugs being negotiated each year. Uh, it's only after the exclusivity periods expire uh, for both the small molecule drugs and the biologics. So it's not the new drugs that are coming online that are really expensive. It's after those exclusivity periods um, exist. Um, so there is some expectation that you see some, you, you see some discounts pretty steep on some drugs. But of course, the number of drugs that they've negotiated down to get agreement on is, is fairly limited. But it is something. It is a beginning. It is a model that they can see if it works in Medicare. If Medicare is actually able to negotiate this, again, without the advantages of having a formulary or other sanctions, um, uh, basically, if they, if they don't do this, the penalty is very high excise taxes on their drugs, which isn't going to lower the cost of it, but it's certainly a disincentive for the plans not to negotiate. We will see. I would think of this provision as an experiment. Um, to see whether or not they are going to be able to negotiate. Is this going to pass? I have no idea. Um, they have every incentive to get this done and to get it done in the next couple of months, uh, but I'm never going to uh, uh, go broke betting on inaction from Congress. So we will we'll give, it a, we'll give it a shot uh, and hope for the best. But this is, I think, the best chance we've had in a long time uh, to get some uh, lower drug prices in the Medicare program. And so I hope that you will all take advantage of the time to uh, call your member of Congress and to write your senators and, and insist that they, they get this done this year. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.